This is Eerie Street, a podcast by Matriarch at Queensland Theatre. Prepare yourself for a series of uniquely Australian horror stories told by young writers from across Queensland. All of the stories you'll hear are based on real locations, old hospitals, industrial beaches and abandoned bowling alleys are just some of the places we'll be visiting. This is episode three. In this episode, you'll hear from three writers, Finn Kattick from the Sunshine Coast, Kiara Culton from Townsville, and Alan Williams from Walloon. Now sit tight and enjoy. I've been waiting at Walloon Station for who knows how long. I would check my phone, but I forgot to charge it before I left for work. Suddenly, a light breeze picks up. Oil, rust, and pine filter through the air. A loud whistle goes off as the train pulls into the station. The body of the train is a light grey and the wheels are bright silver. Boarding the train, I'm hit with a wave of warm air. The carpet is a dark red with little orange flowers on it. Three windows are spread on the left side of the carriage. Even though they're dusty, I'm still able to see through them. When I'm finished looking, I spot an old couple at the back. The old lady is wearing a soft pink dress with long sleeves. As she moves, I see cute little green slippers with bunny ears on them. The old man is wearing a dark grey tweed jacket over a crisp white shirt and grey trousers. His black shoes are so well polished that if I look closely, I can see my reflection in them. Looking away, I notice a young girl maybe seven or eight, who is sitting by herself. She's wearing a light blue dress that falls just below the knees and red shoes with purple hearts. Her light brown hair is touching her shoulders in a cute little braid. As if the girl feels me staring, she looks at me and her eyes meet mine. They're beautiful. Her eyes are vibrant silver, almost the same colour as the train wheels, but brighter. Worried that she's on her own, I walk over to ensure she's okay. Hey, are your parents here with you? She doesn't respond, and I'm about to repeat myself when she abruptly stands and walks to a window near the front of the carriage. Not sure she should be alone, I walk up to her. It's so pretty. Not expecting her to speak, I almost jump out of my skin. I look to the window to see stars that fill the night and trees that sway in the wind. A bang snaps me out of my trance. Looking behind me, I see a tall, lanky man with a moth-eaten black suit hanging loosely on his frame. He walks towards me and a sudden chill overtakes my body. He holds out his pale, bony hand, but my body refuses to obey me and I'm left there staring at him like a statue. I force my head to turn to the girl and she points to my pocket without looking at me. Instead, she's staring at the man with distrust apparent in her eyes. As I reach towards my pocket, my hand won't stop shaking. As I hand him my ticket, I'm able to get a closer look at him. The dark circles under his eyes make him look as if he hasn't slept in years. His oily black hair is slicked back from his thin and sallow face, making him look like death himself. After he's finished with my ticket, He hands it back and walks away through a door which must lead to the head of the train. Warmth fills me once he's gone and I sigh in relief. 
but it's short-lived as the lights go out. Panic fills my chest, and I force myself to stay calm. As quickly as the lights went out, they come back on, but now they flicker. I notice the girl and run over to her, but the train gives a sudden lurch and I'm thrown forward. The view out the window is now blurred, and I realise the train is picking up speed. Getting up, I stumble to the girl. Hey, are you okay? A shout to be heard over the rumbling of the train. She looks at me, and I notice she's crying. I pull her into a hug. It's gonna be okay. How about you tell me your name? My voice is hoarse from shouting over the noise, but I don't care. She motions for me to lower my head, so I do. Charlotte, she whispers in my ear. I freeze as an image flashes across my mind. A woman with beautiful silver eyes holds a small bundle in her arms, and that little bundle has the same silver eyes as her mother. The little girl grabs onto a hand that belongs to a man. Me? Charlotte, I whisper, and the image fades. I hold Charlotte close, never letting go, even as the train lights go out once more. A sea of green and blue scrubs surrounded her. Screams, cries, moans, and the dull murmur of patients' families were drowned out by the constant codes being called through the intercom. White crisp sheets covered her aching body while sweat dripped from her forehead. The smell of lemon and pine filled the long white corridors. Floral scents tainted by death. I just made it to the bus, my forehead covered in sweat. The high-pitched hissing and squeaking of the big yellow bus was dulled by the sound of the driver's harmonious tunes. These tunes continued until we reached school. My school was so old that the outside of the building was so lifeless, which is ironic as the building is filled with life on a day-to-day -day basis. As I exited the bus, I thanked the driver. I ventured through the old wooden doors which I had become so familiar with over the years. The driver's joyful tunes were played in my head all day long. I immediately saw my two best friends, Mia and Jessica. She slowly grabbed onto the cold metal rail beside her until she had enough strength to pull herself to a standing position, being cautious not to pull the ivy bag out of her arm. She made her way to the locked window, like she did every day, as the remaining light faded from the sky until it was completely dark. She grabbed the bobby pin from her hair to open the locked window. Immediately, the pure air that she dreamt of filled her lungs as the floral scents diminished. The high-pitched cry of curlews consumed the atmosphere, yet they were nowhere to be seen. After arriving at school, Jess, Mia and I headed to the dining hall for some hash browns and a chocolate milk. We spent the morning laughing about how we saw this kid at the grocery store. He was really short, had red hair and he was trying to reach the chips on the top shelf, but he couldn't. All of a sudden we realised we were late for class. We were having so much fun reminiscing the weekend we didn't hear the bell ring.
I could feel the adrenaline rushing through my veins. Was I going to make it to class before the second bell, or would I be finding myself in after-school detention? Of course the math classes were on the opposite side of the campus. I ran as quick as I could. Ten seconds, I sped around the corner. Seven seconds, hurried down the long white corridor where the lopsided painting of Sir Rufus Harvey hung. Rumour has it this painting has never been moved, because moving it would be bad luck. Four seconds, I could see the finish line, classroom B13. One second. Would you like to explain to me why you're late? asked Miss G. Three sets of ice, cold hands grabbed her lifeless limbs. She could not break free from this prison. She was weak. It was just me and Miss G within the room. She informed me that all I had to do whilst in detention was study the history of my school. She screamed, but no one could hear her. The white corridors, which were previously filled with families, doctors and nurses, were now empty, white and dull. Sir Rufus Harvey standing outside her door, watching. On the first page of the history book was my school building, but it was different. It was new. The bricks cleaner? A big cross on the top of the building which read General Hospital. On the next page I saw the exact window I was looking out. The same markings were on the wall. Five lines were stretched from the base of the window all the way to the floor. A strong floral scent filled the room. I screamed, but no one could hear me. She leans heavily on her cane. Her eyes were sunken and black. When she extended her hand towards me, her fingers were thin and bony. We spoke a few words as she showed me to my room, the attic. As we climbed the stairs, each step creaking under our weight, I peered at my surroundings. The house was dark lit only by candles, cobwebs floating in the corners of each room. A chill crawled up my spine, a knot forming in the pit of my stomach. I walked slowly into the attic, dragging my bags behind me. As I turned around, my aunt spoke six words, Be ready for supper at 6pm before turning her back on me and closing the door behind her. As I heard her descend the stairs, I walked toward the rusty, worn bed that lay before me. Suddenly, the bolt on the door locked shut and the bars on the windows dropped hard against the wooden frames. I raced to grab the door handle, shaking it violently, but it would not budge. 
giving up, I slumped to the ground, wiping the tears from my cheeks. A book slid across the floor towards me. It was old and tattered. Its dark green cover flecked with dust, gold etching down its sides. Intrigued, I flipped through the pages. A sweet, musky smell filled my nostrils, almost making me sneeze. My stomach lurched as I began reading. The plot was set in an old attic where a young boy sat, all alone, and orphaned by his parents' sudden death. I looked at my surroundings. The candle in my room flickered. I heard the creaking of the old floorboards outside the attic shifting my attention. Someone was ascending the stairs. I felt a chill run down my spine. As I looked towards the door, the muscles in my chest tightened. I held my breath. The bolt started to shake. The door rattled. I wanted to run and hide, but I couldn't take my eyes off the door. With force, it flew open, and before me stood my... Mum? Her dark locks draped softly over her shoulders, her familiar green eyes burning into mine, her face pale. I raced towards her, arms open, but she pulled back. She seemed frightened. As I lurched forward, our hands touched. I felt intense heat and pain Rot up my arms. I looked again, but my mum was gone. In her place stood my great aunt, her face etched into a creepy smile, as if cackling at me. Just as quickly she vanished, and once again I found myself all alone in the locked attic. I started to scream and looked for a way out, but I was trapped. I ripped at the door, trying desperately to escape. What was this place? Who was this woman who claimed to be my aunt? How did I manage to get here? Suddenly, I realised that no one knew where I was. No one was looking for me. I grabbed for the book once more, eager to look for answers. I flicked through to the next chapter, and just like the one before it, something peculiar happened. The floor began to collapse below me, the boards turning to dirt, sifting through and pulling me down with it. Dirt filled my nose and mouth as I desperately tried to claw myself out of the avalanche of dirt until I couldn't fight anymore. Giving up and letting go as the light around me faded. 
I don't know how much time had passed when I awoke, but when I did, there was light and voices. I lifted my heavy eyes to find my mother standing beside me. As she reached to embrace me, I looked over her shoulder, breathing deeply relieved. But there, propped up against the chair, was a cane. I pulled back and looked again at the face before me. Sunk in black, lifeless eyes stared back at me. The corners of her mouth curled up in that grin. Her long bony fingers pressing into my shoulders and I could not breathe. I knew then that this was not my mother and there on the bedside table lay the green book waiting for me open at the next chapter. Thank you for listening to Eerie Street. Tune in this Wednesday to catch conversations with the writers about their stories, what inspires them and what terrifies them. We live, work, create and play and perform on Aboriginal land. In all things, Matriarch and Queensland Theatre acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and pay respects to Elders past and present. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land.